So these are the survivors from paintball. Not everyone is here, I guess. Not everyone survived. <laughs> injuries. I think that's the name of the game, right? Those injuries. Maybe we'll sing a little Jairad Marva before we start. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjali Hari Bhakti Vedanta Swaminiti Namane 
Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Prajarane Nirvasesa Sunyavadi Paskya Tade Shatarine Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gauravakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vanchakalpa Turubhischa Kripasindu Vyavacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namaha Hare Krishna So tonight we have the topic of studying the philosophy that Srila Prabhupada has given us. A wonderful topic. Perhaps not the best right after whole day of paintball, but what to do? <laughs> it's our topic for tonight. So the, uh, the title is How True, How True Philosophy is Found in Srila Prabhupada's Books, How to Read Srila Prabhupada's Books. It's really a wonderful topic. So I thought before we go uh, right into how to read Prabhupada's books, we could talk a bit about philosophy itself. It's a wonderful word in and of itself. The first part, hello, means love, loving. And safi, the last part, means wisdom, or the pursuit of wisdom, or you could say the love of wisdom. So if we're studying Srila Prabhupada's books, studying his philosophy, we're looking for the love of wisdom. And wisdom itself is a very important word. We have jnana, which means knowledge, and vijnana, which means realized knowledge. So ordinarily we think, okay, we have knowledge that we study daily, and eventually we realize we're not our bodies, we're part and parcel of Krishna, and so on and so forth. But even more than that, <clears throat> we could say that this wisdom, this realized knowledge, means that we can make proper choices in our life. At every moment, very large choices in our life, what to study, where to live, who to marry. So through wisdom, genuine wisdom, we can make choices that will actually benefit us. So this is the profit of wisdom. And beyond that, even more than that, wisdom means having the proper attitude towards life. We can make so many choices, but unless we have the proper attitude, we may not get to where we would like to go. We may have unfortunate consequences. So all these things um, we can glean from Prabhupada's words, from studying them. We may, I was speaking to someone the other day, maybe yesterday, and they were saying that once you come to Krishna consciousness and you see this library of books that Srila Prabhupada has left us, all the Srimad Bhagavatams, Cantos 1 through 12, and all the Chaitanya Charitamritas, it can be truly overwhelming. Where do I begin? How can I possibly read all this? So there's a wonderful pastime in this relation. It happened in Vrindavan in 1977, October, November when Śrīla Prabhupāda was in his final days. And the devotee, he was lying on his departure bed in a very emaciated state. And at one point, Jayadvaita, who at that time was a brahmachari, came to him and was telling him 
how glorious it was that he had produced so many books during his presence amongst us. And he went on speaking, Jaidwita Das Brahmacharya, went on speaking like that for a few minutes. And Prabhupada said something very unusual, something very uncharacteristic. It was almost like a Zen koan. What he said was, a little water wears the stone. A little water wears the stone. So if you see, if you picture a stone and drops of water are falling on it, you think, what can a drop of water do on a stone? But just that the drops keep falling steadily, one drop after another. And you come back after some time, and lo and behold, that stone has become concave as a result of those drops. So it's the steadiness that made the difference. So Prabhupada was saying through this very pithy aphorism that because he worked on it steadily, every morning he would get up and translate, as we know. Sometimes, you know, depending on his schedule, it may not be as long as other days. But every day he was there translating, and thus we have a library of books by his mercy. So in the same way, we can understand that if we read a little bit every day, eventually we will read all that Prabhupada has written, all that he's left us. But it takes that steadiness. A little water wears the stone. We have this wonderful devotee in our society, Vaisheshika Prabhu, who has developed what he calls be a sage page by page. <laughs> it's actually an app. And if you want to read Srimad Bhagavatam in a year, he says if you read 41 pages a day, you can finish Srimad Bhagavatam in one year. That's quite a bit of reading. If you want to read it in five years, he'll tell you eight pages a day, whatever it is. So this is the same principle that if we don't get overwhelmed by the quantity, but just keep at it, then eventually we'll find ourselves having read the books and we can start over again, reading them again, and uh, benefit in that way. My husband and I had the amazing fortune of being in Prabhupada's rooms twice when he was translating, once in Brooklyn, New York, and once in New Dwarka, Los Angeles. And uh, I was mentioning the other day in the slideshow, I think that was yesterday, that it was a unique experience. When we get up at four, especially in the cities, it's such a different environment than when you get up later on because everything is peaceful, all the engines have not yet started grinding in the world. That's especially a calm time of day. The mode of passion is less at that time. Only devotees are up at four. But if you get up at two, even the devotees aren't up. Only Srila Prabhupada is up. So we went into Prabhupada's room, my husband and I, with our lights and our movie camera and the sound equipment to film him. And it was such a unique experience because he was just so focused on the um, commentaries of the previous acharyas and the Sanskrit shlokas speaking into his, into his dictaphone. And he would speak just a phrase and then stop the dictaphone and study again and speak another phrase. And completely oblivious of these bright lights and this big camera and sound equipment, just completely absorbed. So you felt it was really an electric atmosphere in that room. And we really felt like we, we, did, we did everything we could to try to not disturb him. 
And uh, it seemed that whatever we did, we would not have disturbed him. That was the nature of his focus. It was quite extraordinary. So we, we got a special appreciation for how much effort he put into his Bhaktivedanta purports. And he said from time to time, we're not just booksellers. He wants us to also study his books. Not that you give somebody a book and they say, so what is this about? And you say, well, I just sell the books. I read the books. <laughs> Prabhupada really wanted us to, um, to try. There's another wonderful little pastime in that regard. It was in New Vrindavan. And there's a devotee in New Vrindavan named Sankarshan Das. He's still there today. He's very famous now because he recites pastimes of the Bhagavatam. So he was very new when Prabhupada came to New Vrindavan. And he went into Prabhupada's room with a few other brahmacharis. He's a grihastha now, but then he was a brahmachari. And they were all surprised because Prabhupada addressed them and he said, Are you trying to read my books? And what really caught Sankarshan Prabhu's attention was this word trying. It's not even, are you reading my books? Are you understanding my books? But just trying, trying to read. Because Krishna is unlimited. How can we understand him and his philosophy? But if we try, perhaps he will grace us with some taste and some understanding. So Sankarshan to this day appreciates this word trying, just making the effort. Prabhupada himself he said that when he sat to hear his spiritual master, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta spoke in such an elevated way, in such elevated philosophy, he couldn't always understand, but he didn't go away. He sat and heard, and Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati noted that. And when someone recommended Prabhupada for initiation, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said, yes, he likes to hear. He didn't go for pilgrimage to the different holy places in Vrindavan. He likes to sit and hear. So he appreciated, which reflects also that Prabhupada appreciates just the trying of his followers. So making the effort and understanding that effort is recognized is very important. I was reading, uh, when I first was reading the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and it was coming out volume after volume. It was a very exciting time. So we came to the end of the Madhya Lila, and we're reading about the beautiful qualities and pastimes of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And every once in a while, in reading Prabhupada's books, I read something that's just so astonishing that I practically fall over. So at the end of the Madhya Lila, there's a verse and a purport that made me practically fall over. It was so surprising to me. So I just thought I'd read that. It's not too long. This is from Majjalila. It's uh, chapter 25, text 278. Or the verse is, Men become strong and stout by eating sufficient grains. But the devotee who simply eats ordinary grains, but does not taste the transcendental pastimes of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna, gradually becomes weak and falls down from the transcendental position. However, if one drinks but a drop of the nectar of Krishna's pastimes, his body and mind begin to blossom, and he begins to laugh, sing, and dance. That's a wonderful verse. And now please hear Prabhupada's purport. It's not very long. 
He says, all the devotees connected with the Krishna consciousness movement must read all the books that have been translated, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and others. Otherwise, after some time, they will simply eat, sleep, and fall down from their position. Thus, they will miss the opportunity to attain an eternal, blissful life of transcendental pleasure. So, this was a shock for me. But I have a question for you about this. Here Prabhupada is saying very clearly that he expects us to read all the books that he's translated. Otherwise we'll fall down. Simply eat, sleep, and um, not attain our eternal position with Krishna. However, in other places, Srila Prabhupada says all that's necessary is to chant Hare Krishna. If you're illiterate, or if you don't like to read, or don't want to read, you just chant Hare Krishna and you can attain perfection. So how do we reconcile these two apparently opposite statements? Please. Uh, I think one way that we can do it is because our, our movement is not just affecting our own life, but it's giving knowledge to others. Mm. And so we can, maybe we can try and perfect our own existence. If we want to help others, then we can also apply some knowledge of Krishna consciousness that we can explain it to others as well. Mm-hmm. Did everyone hear it? Can you say it louder? Um, although we can perfect our own existence by chanting, because our movement is meant ah, to there's, there's a microphone. Third time's the charm. So although we can perfect our own, ex- our own existence by simply chanting the holy names, because our movement is meant to educate others at spiritual, uh, in terms of spiritual knowledge, then we should have the understanding of the reading of Prabhupada's books, so that we can acquire this knowledge and give it to others, as well as perfecting our own existence. Thank you. Any other thoughts? This isn't uh, an answer, but it's another question that linked linked to what you just said. And I was thinking that Prabhupada would also say, if you just read this one book, that is sufficient. So if you just read the Bhagavad Gita, that is sufficient. Or just everything you need is in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So is it really necessary to go beyond? Also contradicts what he writes in this purple. Any other thoughts to try to reconcile these apparent contradictions, please? This chanting Hare Krishna is sufficient, uh, Srila Prabhupada says. And practically, um, you know, uh, seeing devotees for the last few years in the movement, I've seen that devotees who chant all the time or who are focused on chanting, they also get overwhelmed by difficulties, doubts that come in our lives. And you yourself gave that amazing example of the transition phase when Srila Prabhupada left his world. So, having the sword of knowledge <coughs> to cut through the doubts and difficulties is extremely important. So, Jnana Sina Bhagavatam is the sword that can slash all our doubts. So, we can't absolve ourselves of the responsibility of studying scriptures, Prabhupada's books, and also chanting Hare Krishna. Thank you. Beautiful. According to capacity, if one is an illiterate, he may not read. Of course, he can also listen, because nowadays Prabhupada's books are also in audio. 
So there is no excuse, it seems. Nowadays there is no excuse, even if we are written to the audiobooks. But if one would not have any facility to do that, no electricity, no internet, okay, it might be no books. <laughs> then might be, but hopefully no, none of us is in that situation. So according to capacity, if there is no possibility, Krishna is very kind, but we all have the facilities, so somehow or other we need to read, at least to listen to our past books. So it's, it seems a contradiction, but it's in case we cannot, if the Lord is not punishing like a bad guy, so he understands our situation. Thank you. So yeah, I think those are wonderful answers. I think also all of us have some propensity for philosophy. And if we don't use that propensity for Krishna's philosophy, then some other philosophy may enter our thoughts and minds, and that will be unhelpful. So the fact that we naturally look to philosophy to try to understand the world you know, perhaps there are people that are very simple, that can simply chant, but that's rare. Mostly we have restless minds, and if we don't use it in, uh, in Krishna consciousness, studying these books, then we'll use it other ways, and it won't be helpful. It'll be unhelpful. So, yeah, it slashes doubts, and it um, eradicates the desire for fruit of activities, purifies us of the desire for fruit of activities, Sometimes Prabhupada says that our fight against Maya is like you can imagine fighting a war. So if you have an enemy camp, you try to fight from different sides. You try to find the weaknesses and fight from all different sides. So part of the fight certainly is chanting. Part of the fight is also studying the philosophy. It's trying to see it from different perspectives, associating with devotees, honoring prasadam. These are all ways to try to defeat this very strong material nature that covers us and wants to keep us in its grips. So in that way, this, uh, this is emphasized, studying the philosophy. As, a, as far as uh, I mentioned this wisdom, creating the proper attitude, there's a wonderful traditional story in that regard that I would like to narrate. That's one thing about philosophy. If we have a big chunk of philosophy, sometimes it's hard to absorb. So the Bhagavatam has tremendous philosophy, but it's integrated so much with the beautiful pastimes so that it's easier for us to 
access the philosophy. So there's this story about attitude, which uh, I heard many years ago that really impacted me. I think it's a traditional story. But it goes that there was a monastery in Italy, a very old monastery, and the monks within it were getting very old, and no young monks were coming. So the two seniors in the monastery who were responsible became quite concerned over time because without new monks coming, it meant the monastery after some time would be ended. And it was a monastery that had centuries of traditions so that wanted it to continue. So they discussed with the monks and then they discussed with each other, these two leaders, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know the solution. These young people were simply not attracted. And they decided to go to a very wise man who lived deep in the forest to get his counsel what to do about the situation. So the two of them set off. It was a very long walk. It took most of the day. They finally arrived at this wise man who was a hermit. And they had known each other previously, so there was a warm greeting. This wise man welcomed them and made them comfortable and even gave them some food to eat after their journey, looked after them, they talked about old times. And finally, these two leaders of the monastery expressed their grave concern about the future of the monastery. And they said, not only are the monks elderly, but now they have certain physical problems, they're not getting along very well, the relationships are kind of tense, some of them are becoming a little critical of each other, and so on and so forth. So the wise man absorbed all this information, and he was very serious, you know, what to do, thoughtful. And then evening came, and they all took rest. And uh, in the morning, the wise man said, you know, I, I don't have an easy solution for you. I can't give you an answer to your problem, but I do know one thing. He said, I know that amongst you in that monastery, one person is your savior. One person will get you out of this predicament who's living in the monastery. So the two seniors, you know, walked back, this long walk back. They couldn't figure out, you know, who that person could be. And each one was saying, I don't think it's me. Do you think it's you? <laughs> Going back. Then they got back and the elderly monks all gathered around them, very excited, you know, what did he say, you know, after your long trip? And they said, well, we told him the problem very extensively, and, you know, he heard all of us, and he really absorbed the problem and understood its gravity. And he didn't say anything until the end, and then he said something very unusual. He said, one of us here in this monastery will be our savior, will save us from this very grave situation. So the elderly monks were very astonished. They said, who could it be? And then they started to think about the other monks that they had been living with, and they thought, well, this one is a bit grouchy, but he does know the Bible very well. He knows all the verses in the Bible. And this one, you know, he's always complaining about something, but he sings so beautifully and with such heart. And so in this way, they were looking at each other and seeing the qualities that had been so annoying for them, but also seeing other qualities that they had been overlooking. And then they started thinking about themselves. It couldn't be me, because, you know, I, I, I'm so fallible and so fallen, but, you know, I, I, I do enjoy living in the month, you know, so they were considering all these pros and cons of each other, and through this consideration, they started treating each other with more respect and friendship, and this monastery was 
situated just outside the village and the villagers on the weekend would come and use the beautiful grounds as a picnic area with their families and their children and some of the young men who came started talking to the monks and they started appreciating how friendly the monks were to each other and how respectful and then they became attracted and one or two young men moved in because they liked the attitude the attitude had shifted because of the wise words of this wise person so the attitude i really wanted to emphasize in terms of studying the philosophy it's not gathering knowledge it's not really trying to excel in discernment and discrimination that's important but the attitude that we approach life in is really critical and this attitude of friendliness and respectfulness and trying to see the positive the good in others even the good in ourselves as much as possible this can make all the difference because the tendency in this world is that we do fail very often and we can get critical of ourselves we can be critical of others we can lose our positiveness which is really innate to us not by nature we are positive beings but this study of philosophy of its then truly will bring us to an attitude where we will be joyful people will be happy and krishna says in the bhagavad gita that this process is joyfully performed so that's one of the results of knowledge is that we perform devotional service with a joyful attitude and that becomes so attractive to others it becomes irresistible this joyful attitude so as far as uh, this actual topic at hand um how to read Srila Prabhupada's books we were discussing that lady yesterday with our ladies group that there are different techniques certainly individually we should try a little water wears the stone even if it's just a page if we even just read one page eventually we'll read everything ideally more but even a page and it gives something to meditate on but there's also this wonderful technique of study groups reading groups uh, i first joined a reading group when we lived in sharanagati for 10 years and that was with jamuna and dinatarani and the residents other residents of sharanagati so we would sit together for an hour and a half uh, every wednesday evening reading chaitanya charitamrita and we'd go from person to person reading each person having a chance and whenever there was a question we would freely discuss it so even if we read one verse in purport if there was a wonderful discussion we really relished that just hearing from each other expressing our doubts and hearing other people's realizations and in 10 years we went through the chaitanya charitamrita two and a half times and after we finished the glorious thing was that jamuna who was an exquisite cook she would cook preparations mentioned in the chaitanya charitamrita as a celebration that we had finished so we did that twice that was very sweet <laughs> and it really really helps i can say from personal experience it really helps to read in a group because you hear things from others that hadn't occurred to you and vice versa So that's there are many ways as I was saying the other day there are many ways to do these reading groups that's one way then in 
At Bhaktivedanta Manor, we have this couple, Chintamani Dham and Krishna Dharma Prabhu, who have developed another way that it's reflective reading. You read a paragraph, and then you say very closely what Prabhupada has said in that paragraph. They've developed that to an art. They have reading groups that do that. <coughs> other people <coughs> prefer other techniques, like there's one other reading group we have where we read a page, one page, and then the reader says what they've read in their own words, whatever they've gleaned from that, and then the dis discussion follows that, questions and comments about what's been read. So it really doesn't matter what technique one uses, but the idea is that reading together can make a tremendous difference in the um, experience of reading. So that's to be highly recommended. And I think some of the ladies really are inspired to create reading groups. I hope some of the men will also. I know you're very busy with your studies and so forth, but even an hour a week will make a tremendous difference as far as um, absorbing Prabhupada's teachings and finding their relevance and uh, <clears throat> becoming humble before the greatness of, of Krishna. Prabhupada says that, uh, this is from a letter, he says, we request everyone to join this movement, study the philosophy, and become happy. By studying Krishna's philosophy, we will be able to uproot the deep-rooted desire for karma, fruitive activities. A person tries to be happy by achieving the fruits of his own honest labor, but actually he becomes more and more entangled. You get out of this entanglement through transcendental knowledge. So important. So I wonder if there's some thoughts that you might have about reading and how to go about studying Prabhupada's books. Please. In terms of reading groups, is it better to read with uh, many people of similar knowledge as oneself, or is it better to have a reading group guided by a senior when systematically studying Prabhupada's books? I think both will be beneficial, but if you have a senior there who can answer questions, that's very nice. Otherwise, if that person is not available, you can record the questions, just write the questions down. When you do come across somebody who's knowledgeable in the philosophy, you can ask them the questions and then report back to the reading group. So both will work. I think the important thing is to establish reading groups and just keep at it. You know, keep find people that are committed. We have one reading group. There's 25 people. It's on Skype, and in an average week, there'll only be eight that come, but eight regularly come, and so the reading group goes on and other people um, come and go as they can according to their ability, according to their schedules. There's one other reading group at the manor, a wonderful reading group. It goes for an hour and a half weekly. And the first, we have homework for this particular reading group, about 15 verses to read. So we begin for the first 45 minutes, we discuss what we've read, anything that really stood out for us, any questions that we had anything uh, really remarkable. And then for the next 45 minutes, we continue with the reading, and we do that week after week. And it's, we do have seniors in that group, Manjuali, Devi Dasi, an extraordinary devotee. 
So uh, we really benefit from her presence. But I think um, just the process of reading itself will enliven us and carry us forward. Any other thoughts or experiences? Has anyone been part of a reading group at all? Oh, wonderful. Can you describe something that it was? During the start of lockdown, um, myself, this guy and Ram, who's at the hospital. Uh, oh, at the he's, hospital. He's, not, he's not a good. Uh, his mother isn't good. But uh, uh, we used to read together. I think we read Length of Instruction, uh, the Brahma Samhita, and some other books together. Uh, we'd read and discuss every morning. Get up, read for there's nothing to do. So three hours every day. Oh my goodness! Wow! Wow! That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, it was really, really nice. It really benefited uh, me. And now there's a few of us who all we read in our own time, but then we come together and discuss. Well, well it should be once a week. At the moment it's been a little bit busy, but we're all doing Bhagavatam together, Vinay and us as well. Yeah. So, what was the format in your reading group? Um, the format for us was we started in the morning, so we'd read a little bit, uh, maybe read four or five verses. Then we chant together because it was in the morning, which is over, over Zoom, uh, and then we continue to read for another couple hours or something like that. Amazing! That's amazing. How many people in the group? Uh, just the three of us. Oh my goodness! That's and sometimes four. Yeah. Wonderful! Wow. Anyone else? There were a few hands that went up that had experience with reading groups. experiments with different reading groups um, and so in PS Manchester we have a, a boys reading center you know, twice a week where we go through small books systematically we just finished we just finished Rajavidya, we just finished Rajavidya and now we're doing perfection of yoga um, and along with that we also have uh, like a mixed reading center for general public as well and the way we've done that is we've gone kind of like read a paragraph and then that's read by one person, that person that's read it summarizes kind of the main points that they really liked from that paragraph. Then we make it open to the, whoever's there on the call to share what points they thought, we discuss a little bit. And then after that, we move on to the next paragraph. And so we've been doing that for about two years? Two years now. Mm. Wonderful. And how many people in that group? Eight, eight to 10. Mm -hmm. Nice. Any of the ladies have experience with reading groups? Oh, not yet. Remember easily what we had read when we 
So how did you shift from the first method to the second method? So one other point I wanted to make in this regard. It's a beautiful verse from the second chapter of the first canto. Srinvata Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Ride Antasti Habodrani Vidunoti Saritsatam That uh, the Lord is in everyone's heart and he cleanses the desire for material enjoyment from the heart of the devotee who has developed an urge to hear his messages, which are in themselves, prophets says, virtuous, when properly heard and chanted. So in the purport, Prabhupada makes the statement that when the devo devotee is sincere, Krishna sees that sincerity. And then from within the heart of the devotee, who's eager to hear Krishna's messages, then Krishna himself acts so that the devotee can understand those messages and really take them to heart and have this attitude, this wisdom that's so important in Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada writes that actually the Lord is more anxious for us to go back to Godhead than we are to go back to Godhead. And if he sees simply this eagerness to hear, this eagerness to understand him, even try to understand them, then he reciprocates with that effort. So it's something that's beyond our capacity to enact. We have to depend on the mercy of the Lord, and that mercy is readily available through the sincere endeavor of the devotee. So we can only try and pray for Krishna's reciprocation. Those are the points that I wanted to make today. If there are no other comments maybe we can have yes please uh, you know when you're mentioning about this reading group i just wanted to share that in 2004 uh, july around this this time every monday we started reading bhagavad gita around 35 brahmacharis 30 25 to 35 and we would take the first verse of the gita and uh, and each line of the purport that word to word meaning and we would have discussions on it and we've been having it every Monday since last 18 years. And we have, we have just reached uh, the end of seventh chapter now. <laughs> 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 and uh, one, Brahmach, one of our leaders facilitates the discussion. It's amazing the consistency in which he has been taking every Monday and the attendance is also, also <coughs> full. In fact, most of our important management announcements, revisions, 
are all announced during this period, this class, because the attendance is guaranteed. And uh, so what you're saying about, you know, churning the scriptures, discussing each word, word to words, you know, like, you know, you're re uh, reading the translation, the word to word meaning, then it stops after reading the meaning of each word. And then if somebody wants to say something, then the translation, then the purport. So I'm amazed. I told him that we have, we have come up only up to seven chapters. By this rate, we'll complete 18 chapters. We'll need another 40 years. <laughs> so it's fun. You know, there is no, there is no hurry. There is no deadline. Just being with the scriptures. So I just thought I'd share that. A little water, where's the stone? Yeah. <laughs> page. What did he say? He said nice quote. Page by page. Yeah. Be a sage, page by page. Be a sage, page by page. Thank you so much. All glories to his divine grace. Say Sivak Ivaranta Swami Shri Prabhupada.